Good morning. It's Tuesday, September 5th, and you are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, but today I am not live in studio with you. That's right. I'm on vacation. More on that in a moment. Let's begin the day and the show with prayer as we do every day. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that's right. I am on vacation this week, but we wanted to make sure we had a morning show for you. We love being with you in the mornings. We hope you love being with us as well. So we're going to go back in time today with some segments that are some favorites of ours here on Roadmap to Heaven. Today, we're going to revisit a segment with Colin Donovan on body and soul. And then we're also going to hear from Father Jeffrey Kirby about suffering. That's all ahead. But first, let's go to Mike Roberts for our weather and saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Born in 1910 in what is now Macedonia, her baptismal name was Agnes. As a child, she longed to become a missionary and in 1928, at the age of 18, she joined the Sisters of Loretto to learn English so she could become a missionary. In 1929, she was sent to India. Two years later, she took her first vows and took her name after St. Therese of Lisieux. Teresa took her final vows in 1937 at the convent school in Calcutta, where she had become a teacher, and she was named headmistress in 1944. Two years later, as she was traveling by train to a retreat, Mother Teresa heard what she described as a call within a call to go and serve the poor and live among them. In 1948, she began her work, replacing her habit with a white sari that had a blue border. In 1949, she was joined by other women, and they sustained their efforts by begging. In 1950, Mother Teresa was given permission by the Vatican to start the Missionaries of Charity, and two years later, she opened her first hospice house, the Calcutta Home for the dying. All who came were given the chance to die with dignity according to their faith. In the 1960s, the missionaries expanded across India to Venezuela. In the 1970s, to Asia, Africa, and Europe. By the mid-1990s, there were over 500 missionaries in 100 countries. In 1982, during the siege of Beirut, Mother Teresa brokered a ceasefire between the Israelis and the Palestinians, rescuing 37 children trapped at a hospital. She said, by blood, I am an Albanian, by citizenship, Indian, by faith, the Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to Jesus. She died on this day in 1997. Saint Mother Teresa, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. The following is an encore presentation.
You may recognize our next guest's voice. You hear him every Friday here at 2 o'clock on Open Line Friday. He is Colin Donovan, the Vice President of Theology at EWTN. Colin, it's so good to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. It's good to be here. Now, I have to tell you, as I was preparing for this interview, I, I was getting all of my notes together, and then last Friday I was actually tuned into Open Line, and at about 40, 45 minutes into the show, someone beat me to the punch and asked you about today's topic. And mm-hmm. our listeners know that lately we've been talking a lot about nature and spirit and the, the different things between Christ and between man and between God and between angels. And as we look around the culture right now, there's also a lot of confusion going on. You know, people that say, I know that my body is this, but I feel that I am that, and therefore I'm going to ignore this and and live as that. And every time I try to get into it, even with the help of Frank Sheed, Peter Kreeft, the catechism, I just kind of stumble over my words. So I'm so happy you Mm -hmm. can be with us today to kind of give us some insight, if you will, on the relationship between body and spirit and soul in this creature God's created called man. We are, as many have said, a unique creature. Uh, I think even in cultures where there was no no sense of divine as we understand it, you look at the animist cultures, the pagan cultures, they always knew there was something beyond beyond themselves. And they also knew that they they shared something with that. Of course, the the Greeks and others went so far as to give, you know, human form and human attributes to those uh, those superior beings, which were not actually superior. But I think that human sense there is something in us that is more than than the body is a long, enduring one throughout human history. And the Greeks captured it very early on, uh, at least in uh, historical times. Uh, with uh, Arist- Plato and his idea of, uh, of the idea, something that is a, a spiritual thing that brings the light and truth uh, into the human mind. And then as particularly with Aristotle, with what is called a realistic sense of nature, that in human nature we have a body and we have the soul. We have this thing that is transcends the the boundaries of the body, in way that the you know the animating uh, force of animals and plants and and other creatures, uh, if you can see them as creatures even, uh, doesn't. And so that distinction is a natural one. In the uh, among the Jews, of course, they had divine revelation uh, regarding you know, the creation of man, and God breathed the living soul into Adam. And so they already, they understood throughout their history from from that, that time, uh, they knew that uh, within the covenant of Moses that this, you know, bipartite, uh, if you will, nature of the human being is a body and soul, and that to strive for the for God, who is spiritual being, was the, the greatest preoccupation of man. We are really, in some sense, living in a unique uh, unique hit point in history because most of the battles in this area don't deny the existence of one or the other, but they overemphasize the existence of one or the other. You get the 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 purest model, say, such as the Manichees and the Cathars, who had a you know a very rigorous idea that the body meant nothing, but only the soul. And so bodily pleasures, 
uh, even marital uh, relations, all of these things were evils and only the soul was good. And then you get the opposite thing. You get the materialism, which is certainly a big factor in today's world. Uh, that is that the, the body is a very significant. And if, and if a certain value is given to the soul, uh, it seems like it's an accessory and that really my, my mind and my own judgment and my own will, uh, I'm entitled to govern this body and change this body. Uh, and to do with this body what I will. And we've departed, I think, from the sense that the ancients had, and even up into our day before Descartes and, and other uh, modern philosophers and so on, that sort of pushed everything in the direction of such an extreme separation of spirit and soul that you're either some kind of idealist utopian or some kind of materialist. And that's, I think, where we are today. And Christianity and Orthodox Judaism are sort of holding it together in terms of this unity of man in ways that the culture is not. And so you you do get in our culture the extreme materialism that we see, this extreme idea uh, of sensuality, that everything is body and feeling and sensuality. And even in spiritual things, many believers are caught up in this, you know, that uh, that there's nothing, there is no denial of the body needed. There is no denial of those, of those claims of the body, and that it doesn't soil the soul. This was one, one element of the of the earlier heresies as well. So we see a little bit of all of those things, but I think what we have predominantly in our era is a materialism that reduces everything to our bodily state which then gives the permission to form our bodily state into what we want it to be. And on the other hand, you have a kind of existentialist psychology, such as the, is the psychology that reigns in the social sciences, you know, that makes the will and the individual uh, the preeminent thing. And so it diminishes the role of the church and authority of revelation, uh, I am my own personal revelation, and I'm going to sculpt my reality to conform to, you know, to what I think it ought to be. Uh, you get the extreme of gender ideology, which the Pope has called demonic. Uh, you, you get that view that we, we aren't a unity which need to be treated as a gift and fostered and led along the way of salvation— but really, we have these realities where I get to choose, where my ego gets to determine, and my body is something, something which can be molded to suit what my, my ego, my, my mind, which in this concept I think is primarily a material thing and not a spiritual thing at all. So I think that's where we are today, in a historical period somewhat unique, where the the ideas that even animated pagan societies and their reverence for creation uh, has been lost. Uh, the, certainly the purification of that by, by divine revelation to the Jews and through, in and through Christ uh, has been lost more and more. And we are descending into this body, which is the possession of my own ego, that I can do what I want with it, and I can do what I want with anything that's any within it. 
uh, such as the child. It doesn't deserve a unique reverence because it's not me. It's in my body. I can do with it what I will. And if I feel like I'm uh, a woman when I'm, a, you know, bodily a man, that that's my genetic and, and uh, gender heritage, then I can change that too because in the end it's my own ego which is supreme and important with no bow to nature, no bow certainly to a god and to uh, anything spiritual that would constitute authority over me. Uh, this is unique in human history. Uh, the loss of even a natural faith in reality, uh, a faith that Aristotle certainly had, faith with a little f, and now even reality is questioned uh, because, in part, by the good thing that science and technology has shown us that we can, we can steward reality in ways that are useful to, to man. But on the other hand, it's opened up the Pandora's box in which, we, which science and medicine and, and technology can steer things in ways that are not ultimately useful to man, but nonetheless, like a consumer product, is useful to me. And I think it's that ego at the center of all of this today, which is the, the, the biggest danger for the individual and also for the culture, this loss of that true realism regarding nature, regarding ourselves as human beings, um, and, and so on. It's, you know, it's very fascinating that you say um, it, the unique period in history we're in, in talking about the wonders of science, but also the Pandora's box it's opened up. I was at a an event not too long ago, and the speaker was a Dominican priest who works in healthcare ethics, and one of the ideas that he discussed was that 100 years ago, 90% of people had no clue if they were about to die in the next week or two or, or three or four because infection mm -hmm. would come on suddenly, right. um, you would die in childbirth, or you would die in an accident. And in today's day and age, thanks to the, the wonders of modern medicine and science, 90% of people know when they are actively dying, but because of what science and medicine have allowed us to do, it really has opened. He said the same thing. It's opened up a Pandora's box of questions that we have never had need to confront in the course of human history because we never had the ability to think these things were possible. But I want to thank you for this very clear explanation of why all of this really matters. I wonder if we could close with this mm -hmm. because I'm not I, – I am not as gifted as you in explanation. But for our listeners that inevitably are going to encounter this question, whether it's with a family member or with a friend or neighbor – or somewhere out in the community, is there, you know, and this may be the million-dollar question, a one, two-sentence way that we can maybe start a conversation on why it matters not to go to either extreme with body or soul? I think a point I made early on, and that is we can self-analyze the world. This is what Aquinas meant when he talked about natural law reason's ability to look at ourselves. And when people who think man does not have a soul, and they look at themselves, there is no way other than something more than what the body we see to distinguish us from even the higher primates and the higher, there is a je ne sais quoi, as the French would say, beyond the animal world, which is self-evident to a person who simply reflects on whether that is there. 
And it is. And that's the beginning of a belief in the, in the spirit. And centuries have been spent in a lot of ink and speech trying to refine that. But the church has a beautiful refinement and explanation of that. But it's something accessible to all of us because it's in us, that mind which allows us to look and say, yeah, this creature, man, is different from any other creature that we have found or we're likely to find through any scientific method, through the Webb telescope or whatever it is, we're going to, we, we can see that we are different. And that's what the ancients understood even when they misidentified that truth in creatures themselves by worshiping trees and other things. They at least had the seed of all of that. And it's in us as well. Well, Colin Donovan, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. It really has been a treat uh, to spend some time with a, a great teacher of theology. If you enjoyed what you just heard and you haven't been tuning in to Open Line Friday on EWTN Global Catholic Radio, well, you should start doing that. Friday's 2 p.m. right here on our airwaves on Covenant Network. Uh, Colin, once again, thanks for being with us today, and please give our best to everyone at EWTN. My pleasure, and I certainly will. Thank you for asking me. Consecration to Mary My Queen and my Mother, I give myself entirely to you, and to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good Mother, as I am your own, keep me, guard me, as your property and possession. Amen. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And if you are a regular listener of the show, you know two things about me. One, sometimes, uh, maybe foolhardily, I, I go all in on something. I say, that sounds great. Let's, let's dive all in. Second, I'm not necessarily an avid reader. I love to read, but I'm a slow reader. So for a book to get my attention, it, it really has to be something great. And, and what does this have to do with anything this morning? Well, you may remember that this past summer, I had my wisdom teeth removed on, on my lower jaw. And about a week and a half before I went into the oral surgeon's office, I had watched this homily uh, posted online by Father Jeffrey Kirby about suffering and the redemptive power of suffering and the good that suffering can do. And I said, I'm in. I'm all in, you know, not knowing what was ahead of me the next week. And I walk into that surgeon's office and they said, all right, we're going to give you the anesthesia and we're going to give you a narcotic. I said, no. No narcotic. You can give me the anesthesia. I don't want to be awake. It's safer for everyone if I'm not awake for this surgery. But no narcotic. And they said, well, is it a, a reaction? Because we can give you something to, to curb the nausea. I said, no. I believe because of my faith that my suffering that I will endure can be offered for the good of souls in purgatory. And so no narcotics. And they said, all right, we're not going to try to argue with you on that. About four hours later, I was weeping in my bed saying, I'm not strong enough to suffer for the souls in purgatory. Luckily, my wife was there to encourage me. And now, even better, what's this have to do with the book? We have a book coming out this Friday from Tan Publications, A Manual for Suffering by Father Jeffrey Kirby, who gave that homily that inspired me not to take the narcotics. And Father's with us on the phone today. Father, so good to have you with us today. Thank you, Adam. It's good to be on the show. And, and I love that story. I love that story because it shows both 
the reality and the glory of suffering. Yeah, well, you know, Father, I think the first question we, we want to get into so we can talk about the reality and the glory of suffering is the reality. You know, a big question that, that the objectors throw up is if, if God is real and if God loves us like you say, why does he allow us to suffer? Yeah, so we have to go all the way to the beginning of time and realize at the beginning, when God created us, he, he didn't want this suffering. When he created our first parents, he gave them powerful gifts to our human nature. Our bodies were never supposed to die. We were supposed to have infused knowledge. So if we wanted to do something or know something, it would just be immediately given to us. And we know that our passions were to obey our reason. These were our theology calls the preternatural gifts. And of course, these were accompanying sanctifying grace, so a real personal relationship with God, a familial relationship with Him. But our parents chose sin, so our nature and all creation fell. And that fallenness, the consequences of that fall, even after our redemption in, in the Lord Jesus, God has permitted the consequences of that fall to still play themselves out so that each of us can respond to God's grace, work out our salvation by His grace. This, of course, comes from the Lord Jesus. And then allow good to be brought from the fallenness and the suffering of our world. So God allows the suffering both as a discipline as an opportunity to work out our salvation, as an opportunity for us to make intercession for others, and as an opportunity for us to be intimately connected with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus in our salvation. Well, that, that takes us to the, the next question on this, is what, what do we mean by redemptive suffering? I think back about 15 years ago now, I was introduced to this wonderful pastoral letter from Pope, uh, now St. John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores. It's one of my favorite writings on the Christian meaning of human suffering. And he unlocks that, that mystery of, well, what do we do with our suffering? And that's something that you speak about in this manual. So suffering, you know, we, we've alluded to, not something to necessarily run away from and say, I don't want to suffer, even though that is our, our seeming natural inclination. But there's something really powerful we can do with that suffering. Father, can you tell us about that? Yes, if I can just start with some wisdom that was given to me years ago by an old friar, at a time when, when I needed uh, spiritual guidance as, as a young man, I went to him was just going on and on about all the sufferings and woes in my life. And he just looked at me, and with the wisdom that comes from older religious, he kind of just looked at me and said, cling to the cross, because the Jesus you need is nailed to it. And I want to start with that, that wisdom as we talk about what is redemptive suffering. First of all, redemptive, like literally redemption, like how we are redeemed, brought from darkness to light, from sin to glory. Redemptive suffering, that by our suffering as baptized Christians, when it's united intentionally with the sufferings of Christ, it actually contributes to our salvation and the salvation of others. So we are actually sharing in the redemptive work, the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we accept our sufferings and unite them to His. Now, once we begin to, you know, begin to speak like this, I hope that scales begin to fall from the eyes of believers, and we begin to realize, wait a minute, that's really powerful, <laughs> and, and, and really intimate in the sense that that gives me a union, a connection with Christ that nothing else in this world can give me, for there is no greater teacher than suffering. And to allow our sufferings, and not that we're out looking for them, but to allow the sufferings of this world, from illness, disease, heartbreak, difficulty, financial woes, pick your poison, <laughs> to pick the sufferings of this fallen world 
and then to unite them to Jesus Christ. That unites us with Christ in a way that we cannot imagine. The Christ we need is hanging there on the cross, clinging to the cross, because he is the one we need. He is nailed there. And then we can offer that as well for our loved ones. There's a power that's released in suffering. And, and Adam, as we were talking before the show, there is a real loss of a theology of suffering in the Church today. And that's a tremendous loss, because suffering's real. We live in a fallen world. We are a sinful race. There's no getting out of it. Like, as Teresa of Avila said, we either embrace the cross, or we are dragged by it. Like, the cross is a reality. Suffering is a reality. And we unite ourselves to that suffering. We are connected to Christ, and we allow that suffering, the grace of that suffering, to work on our salvation and the suffering of our loved ones. There's a power in suffering. Amen. Amen to that. And it's so important that we understand that power. And that might mean, friends, that you and I need to take some time to meditate upon this. And, and again, we've got this manual for suffering that Father Kirby's put together, which is a good way to do that. Uh, but, you know, as I said last week, but wait, there's more. And this is what I love. In this manual, Father, not only do you break down the mystery of suffering in part one of the book, you then give us some aids for ourselves in the midst of suffering. And in in that, you have passages from the Bible, teachings of the Holy Mother Church, and wisdom from the Holy Ones from the saints. And what great resources those are, because I'll tell you, in in the moment, four hours after that surgery, in intense pain, my jaw, to say it was radiating with pain would be the understatement of the century. I kept saying, Lord, I want to offer you this. I'm not quite sure if I'm doing this the right way. And uh, having the writings of the saints or the teachings of the church or even just some scriptural passages on hand would have been a great resource for me. I wonder if you could share a little about these for us. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 I, and, and I'm so glad that we're talking about the reality because I don't want anyone who's listening to this to think that this is some type of a Pollyanna approach or that we are somehow removed uh, to the authentic anguish that comes with suffering. We're not trying to minimize suffering or romanticize it. That would be terribly condescending and offensive. No, what we're doing is showing all believers and all people of goodwill that there's an opportunity to unite our sufferings with Christ, to allow our suffering to have a purpose, a meaning, a value that we can't imagine, that we can't give it to, that we can't give it to our suffering, to our sufferings ourselves. So I I just want to emphasize that. And then to, to, to teach this, and then to say, okay, well, yeah, good luck now. God bless you. <laughs> you know, like, you know, um, you know, no, like we, we, we teach this in the manual, and then we move right into giving the resources from the treasury of the church, as you indicated, Adam, scripture, wisdom of the saints, things from our devotional life, so that the person who reads this manual begins to understand. Wait a minute, there is a theology of suffering. God has addressed this. There is a purpose, a meaning, a value my suffering. Suffering doesn't have the last word. Darkness doesn't have the definitive word. This is not the last chapter. And then to move to the next part and say, okay, here's some divine wisdom, here's some wisdom from our saints, and here's some devotional things that can help. So immediately to put in the person's hand, hey, you might find this novena helpful if you're suffering with depression or, or, or mental difficulties or emotional challenges. Or hey, you know, if you're really grieving because your loved ones have left the church and and no one worships or believes God except you and within your family, uh, this prayer might help you, and so on. And we draw from the saints, we draw from the tradition, in order to give the resources. 
Because again, actually, I would never teach someone something, especially something challenging, and then not provide from the spiritual treasure of the church. So this manual, it teaches, and then it gives the resources, the spiritual help that we need to do it, to live it. We're going to stop here and take a break. We're talking with Father Jeffrey Kirby about his new book, Manual for Suffering. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. We are back. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven, where we are talking about how to suffer and why we suffer and how we can turn that into prayer and what it does for us with Father Jeffrey Kirby. Father, I'd like to turn to this quote you included in the book from St. Rose of Lima, who says, Without the burden of afflictions, it is impossible to reach the height of grace. The gift of grace increases as the struggle increases. Now, so far in our discussion, you know, my example has been that one of physical suffering from having the wisdom teeth removed. But I often think about just the the Christian life that we try to live as devout Catholics striving for sainthood, going against the the tide of the culture that says, oh, you have emotional suffering. Well, here, you know, just use, use these drugs or use this person, you know, the throwaway relationships we are encouraged to have with people or, or watch this mind-numbing show on your, your phone or your TV or wherever it may be. Um, we're, we're inundated with garbage, to say the least. And here we are, you know, maybe just in the struggles of trying to be holy. And sometimes, if we're very honest, holiness is really hard. And we don't want to try to be. It would just be so much easier to give up and say, Lord, I give up. I don't want to be holy anymore if this is what it entails. But St. Rose is saying, no, no, you need that affliction. It's impossible to get to the height of grace without it. I wonder if we could talk about that for a moment. You know, just the, the challenge we have of, of living a devout life in today's world. We're not, we're not necessarily saying that all suffering is physical or all suffering is mental anguish or emotional due to the loss of a loved one. It might just be the challenge presented to us by trying to live a good, holy life. Amen. Yes, and, and Adam, I'll tell you, uh, I very much like the point you're making, and, and I think that becomes more heightened as our society begins more and more to lose civic virtue. There was a time when we could interact in society, and regardless of one's religious beliefs, there was a certain understood way that we conducted ourselves in in society with one another, uh, civic virtue. And for the most part, that civic virtue is disappearing. And how does that affect us? It means we find more people being impatient or rude or abrasive, people cutting off cutting people off in traffic, people cutting in lines in grocery stores, uh, people just telling their neighbors to their face, hey, shut up, right? Uh, we see a, a, an increase of, of cruelty and harshness in our society because of the loss of that virtue. And I think in, in some respects it's, you know, a very uh, uh, sorrowful, you know, uh, that we see this, that this loss of virtue. But to your point in quoting with St. Rose's, that provides us, we Christians, with the immense opportunity, as our forebears did generations before, to be the difference, to be the witness. When the person is cruel or unkind to us, and we respond with charity, that is a spiritual suffering that cannot be explained when someone is being completely rude right to your face, and you just smile and authentically show kindness. That is definitely a suffering, and I think we're going to see more of it, and 
to the degree that we're going to re-evangelize this culture, we want, we must do it. We have to be the witnesses to that, not only for ourselves, but the fa- for the sake of, of others, for the sake of our society. Now, Father, before we conclude here, I, I want to ask if maybe you have one go-to thing. I know there's several things in the book, and, and I think back to a time of my life of emotional suffering, just uh, plagued by that feeling of emptiness and the void in our hearts that cannot, by, that cannot be filled by anyone other than God. And, uh, you know, a priest confessor said, Adam, when, when you're awake in the middle of the night and you're struggling with loneliness, you're struggling with emptiness, that's the perfect time to just grab your rosary and start praying because the Blessed Mother loves you, and she she is going to love you like no mother ever has loved you before, and she's going to take you to her son, and that is where you will find the meaning of, of your emptiness, and you'll also find fulfillment is in our God and in the mystery, his Paschal mystery. I wonder if you have any go-to things that you say, all right, you, you got, you're suffering a little bit. Maybe you got a headache. Maybe your, your leg hurts today or, or whatnot. Here's a good prayer. Here's a good practice to just offer that up. Yes, yeah. So I have to warn people, I'm going to recommend this. It's what I go to. It's, it's, it is my go-to, um, but it's hard, and the Lord takes it at face value. And for me, it's the litany of humility. And, you know, that beautiful prayer that others may be loved more than I, that others may be more esteemed than I, and, and, and that there's complete self-emptying. And God takes it at face value. And when I pray that, oftentimes, you know, in those moments of, of difficulty or suffering, I, I say to the Lord and, 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 and really try to put my heart into, into my words, when I say, Lord, I expect nothing, and I accept all things for, this, for the love of you. So I expect nothing. Just take whatever you want. I only want you. So I expect nothing, and I hope for all things in you. That's it. I was going to say that's just such a great thing to have at the ready. You know, very simple. I expect nothing. I only want you that as we suffer, you know, I I remember in that moment, um, my mental focus was gone. I was in so much pain. But I I thought of another phrase that Father Stan Fortuna had taught in a teaching he did on suffering that was um, suffering conquered by love. He said, just meditate on the cross, look at the cross, and just say that over and over again. If that's all you can remember, suffering conquered by love. But I love this as well. I expect nothing, I want nothing, only you. Amen. Amen. And, and that's, we see that conviction uh, in the heart of our Lord as he hung on the cross. We see it in the lives of all the holy ones. Uh, my, my go-to saint is St. Maximilian Kolbe, and I frequently imagine you know, similar to as you're quoting his constant uh, spiritual maxim, love conquers, love conquers. Just give all things to the Lord. And of course, we know how, how he lived and how he died in, in service to the Lord. I want nothing. Just give me you. That's, that's all I want. You can help me. That's it. Beautiful, Father, beautiful. The book is Manual for Suffering by Father Jeffrey Kirby. It's available through Tan Books. You can go to www.tanbooks.com. That's where you can find the book. Also, you can find it online, and check your local Catholic bookstore. It's worth uh, perusing there as well. And if they don't have it, ask them to order it. I'm sure they will. Father, could I ask you to close our time with a prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Father, we ask your blessings upon your people. May you bless them as they continue to seek you, as they seek your face. May you grant them the help of your grace. We expect nothing. We hope for all things in your Son, through him who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Kirby, thanks for being with us today. I look forward to our next time together. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. Daily Offering 
God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to Thee and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which Thou intended me to become when Thou created me. For in Thy perfection... I will give thee the glory thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. We stop on this Tuesday for our Daily Dose of Encouragement with Patty Schneier, where this week we are talking about the precious blood. Patty, what do you have in store for us today? Well, yesterday we talked about blood on a purely human level. I shared my own story about how I am alive because someone donated blood for me, and then just spiritually we're all alive because Jesus shed his blood for us. Today I want to share some reflections that come from Pope John Paul II. He said this about the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ, while it reveals the grandeur of the Father's love, shows how precious man is in God's eyes and how priceless the value of his life. The Apostle Peter reminds us when he says, You know that you were ransomed from this futile ways, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's from 1 Peter chapter 1. John Paul continues, precisely by contemplating the precious blood of Christ, the sign of his self-giving love, the believer learns to recognize and appreciate the almost divine dignity of every human being and can exclaim with ever new and grateful wonder, how precious must be man in the eyes of the creator if he gained so great a redeemer and that God gave his only son that man would not perish but have eternal life. So Christ's blood reveals how precious you are to God. It reveals the dignity of every human being and the price God was willing to pay for your salvation. Let's ponder that today and let's thank God for it. A beautiful reflection for us in today's Daily Dose of Encouragement. Patty, thank you. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this Look Back edition of Roadmap to Heaven as we've taken a look back at some of our favorite segments from the past few years. We're going to be doing this all week. Let's close the show in prayer as we always do in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thank you for spending your morning with us. Don't forget to check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast at OurCatholicRadio.org or wherever you get your podcast. And each and every day, we want to remind you, pray your rosary today.